You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. guys so much to tackle in this week's episode we're going to go back and we're going to talk about bonnie's story we're going to talk about cleaning up debt and really kind of working through some of our tactical strategies on how we would tackle getting rid of some of the debt baggage that you may have with you and getting back to getting that financial freedom clock started and to help me with this i have my co-host brad here with me today how you doing buddy hey jonathan i'm doing quite well and yeah there's uh some interesting news going on in my life here i guess my wife no longer has a job. I guess the most succinct way to put it was she was fired. No, dude, are you serious? <laughs> Is she okay? Yeah, yeah, she's definitely okay. And and it was not because she was not good at her job or anything. So this was not for a performance at all. But this is a really interesting situation. And and the reason why we're talking about it here is because it pertains to the FI community and the FI mindset. Wait, so wait a second. Even though was she, like was she devastated? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I'm genuinely curious. You know, yeah. if your job suddenly disappears without your say in it. What what was her thought process? Yeah, well, it was interesting. So she definitely was not devastated. I think she was actually rather happy about it. There's a lot of conflicting emotions here, Jonathan. So I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. But I mean, Laura has been a CPA for her entire adult life, right? She graduated college in 2000 and has been working on tax returns for 18 plus years now. That is part of her identity, but she is also a mom and she spends a ton of time up at the school and she's the treasurer of the PTA and she keeps our house running just in this amazing, amazing way. And, and she has this life that she's carved out for herself. And on the one hand, she enjoys the intellectual stimulation of being a CPA, but on the other hand, you know, she was kind of not dreading, but not really looking forward to tax season this year. She was actually in the back of her mind thinking like, you know what, maybe this might be my last year. We are at five, right? We're at our five number. And of course, I was going to say, money- I mean, because you know, if she's doing it at this point, I mean, it's nice to have the extra income, but she's not really doing it to keep the lights on or out of any real sense of financial need. It's got to be what value is the job actually bringing. And I would imagine as that kind of April timeline starts to creep up on us, you start becoming acutely aware of how much work it actually is. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And that's that's a perfect way to put it. This is not to keep the lights on, right? We have saved diligently for our entire adult lives to get to the point where we are at FI. And that's the beauty of FI, right? Is that you can make decisions based on the value that it brings to your life. So we are really fortunate, obviously, that we don't need the money to survive. So then to your point, it is what value is it bringing? And, and you know, Laura was kind of dreading this a little bit, like I said, because it's a disruption. Like we have this wonderful life carved out, but yet for two months out of the year, she's a full-time CPA. And that is, is a bit stressful. So I guess, you know, talking about this, the actual nuts and bolts of the firing here, Jonathan, it was interesting because she did have this in the back of her mind that like, 
oh, I'm not really sure I want to do this that much longer. But she was going to do this out of a sense of obligation because she really liked this company. She's been working with them for years. She got this call from the CFO of the company and he said, I've got some bad news. And it sounded like something terrible was going on. I was going to say, I know that they are huge fans of her. So I can only imagine like the the guilt that was in this CFO's voice as he's making this phone call. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is like at this basically the start of tax season. So he basically told her that he's retiring. It's funny because this was one of the pieces of bad news. And Laura's like, that's fantastic. You know, good for you. Then he's like, and the other piece of bad news is that the owner decided to kind of offload this tax practice. And you, Laura, are not going to have a job this year. And Laura's like, that's great. Good for him. <laughs> I just want to pause on this because I'm putting myself in this CFO shoes. And you know, he was like, he was dreading this phone call. He was calling her in probably absolute fear because he did not want to have to tell her this. I guarantee you, he was not expecting that reaction. <laughs> no, the call did not go the way that he expected. And and I mean, you know, to his credit, like Laura was a valued employee and and they really liked her and they liked the job that she did. And I'm sure this was a really difficult call. And the beauty of five from Laura's perspective is she can say, hey, good for you for your retiring. That's fantastic. And like this actually doesn't hugely negatively impact my life, which is great. And now I can spend my time the way that I want. So it was this kind of funny thought process. Yeah, this is amazing. I'm just, I'm trying to put this in contrast because on the one end, this is what we're talking about. This is the power of having the control on your side of the court, because if you choose to work, right, work optional, it's on your terms. It's because it's adding value to your life, which by definition means that if it's not adding value to your life, you're probably not doing it. So people that are working are probably much happier in their jobs. Like this is this aspirational thing. And and it's kind of interesting because on the one end, there are so many people that are not in this place and have no plan to get to this place. And it kind of indicates to you, there's so many things in this life that are outside of your control. And if you take it for granted, if you don't build a plan, if you aren't working towards bringing this control to your side of the court, what about, because this happens to people that aren't prepared all the time. And so it's kind of like, imagine like if you have this choice, if you put the planning in early, you start now, right? Best time to start 10 years ago, second best time today. You start now when the inevitable unexpected happens, you now have a choice of reactions, right? Because you've built this plan, this escape route for yourself. On the one end, the lack of preparation is total devastation, right? Total financial devastation. You're picking up the pieces. You're trying to figure out what to do next. But if you put the plan in now, you get it in place even long before you reach financial independence. Let's say you have two or three years and like you're kind of in like a work environment that maybe isn't as good as hers was and isn't as flexible as his, but you were staying there maybe out of a sense of, again, obligation or guilt. And someone does you the favor of saying, hey, we're moving in a different direction and this isn't here anymore. Imagine you being able to walk away with a smile on your face and saying, well, you made that easy. Can I get my letter of reference and move on to a better, greener pastures? Like that's the power, not of even reaching financial independence, but just having some space between yourself and the financial cliff. And dude, I'm so excited about what this means for you and your family. Yeah, thank you. It's really going to be a, a big net positive for us personally, but this is the message that we've been talking about for two years now, accruing power in your life so that someone else doesn't have the ability to essentially destroy your life tomorrow. That's what so many people who are living on that financial cliff, what they deal with every single day, their job could go away tomorrow, even if you are an excellent employee. Like Laura was highly, highly valued, but that company decided to go a different way. And of course, she holds no ill will to them. Like they have to do what works for them. If she was a regular old employee and she lost her job 
right at the start of tax season, this would have been a disaster. So while we are at Phi, even if we were along the path to Phi, like you're saying, Jonathan, even if you had that little bit of space, well, that changes everything. And it makes it so that your entire life doesn't crumble if your employer decides to go another way, which no matter what job you have, no matter where you are, no matter how valued you are, they could decide to go another way at any given moment on any given day of the year. That's not to scare you. It's really not. It's to me, this is empowering by saving money, by working towards FI, just towards FI on the path to FI for any period of time. It gets you that power back in your life where someone else doesn't have control to at any given moment destroy your life. So again, I don't look at this as negative. I look at it the exact opposite. You have the power. And that is just such a wonderful place to be in. You have the power. (laughs) (laughs) Man, this is fantastic. And it ties so perfectly to what I wanted to talk about today. This idea of, you know, getting, getting to debt free, cleaning up debt. And that ties very closely to Bonnie's situation and Bonnie's story. And man, what an incredible, what incredible obstacle she worked through to reach financial independence by the age of 43. Bonnie is an absolute rock star, right? I mean, that just came through in that episode in spades. I mean, she is the prototypical talent stacker. It's amazing what she has done throughout her life. And of course, we're going to talk about the debt payoff and and how miraculous that was and just what effort she put into it. But just from a talent stacking perspective, she started as a 14-year-old kid mowing lawn, baking wedding cakes, being a roofer, and then she got a job in IT even though that was not her field at all. She wound up automating her job to take her less than two hours a day, learned all these advanced macros and other stuff and became the director. Like, I mean, who does this, Jonathan, right? No, it's amazing, dude. And and as someone that spent like an entire day Googling how to transpose cells, that's when you take like 45 vertical cells and then suddenly now they're magically horizontal. That was an entire day. I have a healthy amount of respect for the skill set that she was able to put together. Really, and you saw this pattern, right? In her childhood, like you were saying, with these smaller projects, it, it, we kind of like had this sense, even throughout the episode, we're going to see the reemergence of this pursuit of these extra ideas, these extra lanes, these these levers that you can take control over. We're going to see this reemerge later on in life. And sure enough, when she came through the wreckage of essentially this first marriage, right? With this financial infidelity, someone that was actively working against her to self-destruct their finances, she somehow, I mean in almost an unbelievable fashion was able to get back to zero, was able to start over, was able to escape that toxic situation and then rebuild her life starting at the age of 30. Sure enough, you saw her. I am the type of person that can learn anything. What do I want to do? And you just believe that her story was going to an awesome place. And to me, let me, this is actually a very interesting kind of a side note. My, my mom was having a conversation with me this past weekend. And she said to me, Jonathan, I've heard these amazing stories, but like, my question is, when is it really too late? And I said, well, you know, I don't think it's really too late for anybody, mom. She's like, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I I get that. But like, really, realistically, when is it too late for somebody? And I said, I hear you, mom. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. And and I'm going to try and be very honest with you. But I truly feel like this is a mindset issue. So it's really hard for me to put an age on this. Like, for instance, you know, just anecdotally, Colonel Sanders didn't fry a single piece of chicken until he was in his 50s. Like that, you know, okay, maybe that's an extreme example. But there are individuals that, 
have basically written their life off in their twenties and thirties. And they just, they're unwilling to take action and to try to move to a different place. They just settle for what is, and there's individuals that are scrappy and are figuring out willing to do something different in their thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties. And I think it comes down to what type of person are you and what is a story that you tell yourself? Because if you're paycheck to paycheck, if you're completely stuck, you're going to have to do something different than you're doing now in order to get a different result. And I don't think that that's tied to age. Now, now, Time is precious, and we can definitely see how the compounding works to your benefit the sooner you can start taking this action. But there will always be someone that is older than you, found this later than you, and is in a worse financial situation than you, that because they were able to look at the problem a little bit differently, were able to get different results. So I don't write off anybody at any age point. But the question is, what actions are you willing to take, and how quickly are you willing to get started to move yourself and your family to a better place? And that's a very empowering message. And I, and I was trying to just, I was trying to just be honest about it. Cause then she gave me a specific example of somebody and we were kind of working through, you know, what this individual could actually do. And, and the nice thing about this is Brad, just like when we were talking about the SATs and how there's only a limited number of questions that you can answer with life, it's kind of the same way. We all are subject to this equation. What you make minus what you spend is equal to the difference in the, or the gap. And you can focus on your earnings. You can focus on your frugality or your savings, your, your spending level, and you can simultaneously focus on what you're going to do to optimize it. And you don't have to do everything all at once, but you're going to have to pick something. And what we saw with Bonnie was this willingness to tackle all three ends of the spectrum, progressively getting better and reaching financial independence within a period of about 13 years, simultaneously finding herself in a much more joyful existence, which really, really was incredible, especially when you tie that to maybe this limiting belief of, well, I do this, but I don't want to be deprived. Like deprivation never came through in her story. It was amazing to see her work to this common goal. Yeah. And to your point, a lot of this is mindset. And to your mom's question, I think that even ties back to what we were just talking about with my wife, Laura. It's not about zero or one, not being at five or being at five. All along this spectrum, it's just taking actions to make your life better. We've talked about this many, many times, right? The getting 1% better, the aggregation of marginal gains, just getting a little bit better at everything. And like you said, I'm the type of person that, in Bonnie's case, she can learn anything, right? I'm the type of person that can learn anything. And that's something I picked up from Tom Bilyeu over at Impact Theory. And it's, it's what your identity is. If you have that identity that I'm the type of person that, dot, 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 and you fill in what works for you. If that becomes your identity, then that means something to you because you think about it when you're alone, when you're by yourself, that is the type of person that I am and I'm going to make my life better. And that is just so crucially powerful. That doesn't matter if you're 10 years old, like my daughter, Anna, like we actually had a conversation, Jonathan, I didn't tell you this, but last night over homework, sitting at the kitchen table, I had this conversation with her about I'm the type of person that, and because she sometimes gets frustrated, things have come pretty easy to her. And even though I've talked about growth mindset and fixed mindset and tried to not have the cardinal sin of parenting of calling her smart, I want her to work hard. I want her to have that growth mindset. Well, still things have come relatively easily to her in her life. And sometimes when she faces adversity, there's the natural reaction to get frustrated. But I tried to portray to her last night that she can reframe that and say, I'm the type of person that can learn anything along a long enough timeline. I can learn anything. 
I think it really got through to her. I saw in just like a five minute conversation that it made a difference. So from 10 to who knows, 90 years old, like you can change your mindset to have that empowering mindset as opposed to just, ah, it's too late for me. What a terrible way to look at life. It's too late. That doesn't work for me. Yeah. And what we try to do is we try to pair mindset with action, pair mindset with the tools that you need in order to see this success, right? You put yourself in a positive place. You decide that you're willing to take action, but what action should you take? And it depends on where you are on this journey. And I think going back to a situation, a story like Bonnie's, in order to get to the point where her financial freedom clock had started and she's working towards financial independence, she had to clean up debt. And in her case, unfortunately, it wasn't really debt that that she was accruing. It was as she was trying to pay it down, her spouse was adding it back up. Really, really unfortunate situation. I hope that many people listening to this, while they may have debt, they don't have to deal with that extreme of an example. But I think having an example like this to reference can be valuable and can be a useful tool for us. She gave us a bunch of actionable details that she used to pay down this debt. And Brad, I was thinking that we could take some time in this episode and actually talk about our strategies, the strategies that we have found personally the most valuable and as a community, we believe would be the most valuable for individuals that are also in a similar situation, paying down debt to get their financial freedom clock started on the path to financial independence. And I, you know, if I could set a, a scenario up, let's start with an individual that frankly, up to this point, maybe mid-20s, mid-30s or beyond, they have just consumer debt because they can afford the payments. I think that's the lifestyle inflation trap that many of us have fallen into. We can afford the payments. We can afford the payments on our two cars. We can afford the, the our mortgage. We can afford our couch payments, our blind payments. Maybe there's a boat in the garage. Who knows? But even if not, there's not a garage. There's three or four credit cards with outstanding balances that we're paying 12 to 24 to 29% interest rates on. Maybe in an extreme example, you have someone that you know, just had an accident on their car and couldn't afford to get it repaired. So they took out a payday loan. You know, they're, they're just dealing with, with life and those payments have slowly gotten out of control and they're always 200 bucks behind, you know, their paycheck, as soon as it's going down, it can cover the minimum payments, but they're not able to get ahead and they can slowly feel like control is just slipping away. Bonnie, what she did for us is kind of helped us work through how she was able to tackle her own journey. But I thought me and you could try and slow down on that and recognize that many people that are finding this show now and into the future are not finding this from a luxury of a positive net worth, but are finding this from a place of wanting this, wanting this for themselves and for their family, but they have to work through some debt baggage first. Let's try to set, create a framework that individuals can use to get their financial freedom clock started. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. And that's an important point. Financial independence and the journey towards FI doesn't have to start at zero or positive net worth, or you've done everything right from the time you were 22 years old. That has nothing to do with it. To me, FI is a mindset and it's taking action once you realize, hey, this is a goal of mine. So Jonathan, yeah, I think this is a great idea because yes, many people are finding us and they are in debt and they want a plan. So yeah, let's get started. You know, so I think, you know, part one or step one, depending on how you're going to tackle this thing is just it's creating a financial picture, Brad, and figuring out where is your money actually going? So this can be high tech. It can be low tech, but it's got to be something we need to know on this simple equation, money coming in, money going out, what that actually looks like for you. And if you have 20, 30, 40 years of not doing this, this is not necessarily intuitive. This is going to take a little bit of time to figure out. Now, th this is a wonderful decade, you know, in 2019 and beyond to be trying to sort through this 
because there is a lot of technology to actually help you with this. A pen and paper is useful. You could certainly go to your bank accounts. Like, I mean, for many people, do you realize many people don't actually check their bank accounts online? Like to me, that sounds incredible and hard to believe, but many people have never actually logged into their bank account online. So let's start there. Where are your actual accounts? What accounts do you have? How many credit cards do you have open? How many bank accounts do you have? Do you have login information for those different bank accounts? Can you actually go in there and see your balance? And once you've kind of done that, let's go ahead and then get those into some sort of tracking system. Now, I'm, if you want to go low tech and use a pen and paper and write down all of your transactions month to month, to me, that seems a little bit arduous, especially when you can use a free app like Mint, uh, which is run by the same people that do TurboTax, a pretty good software there's several other options out there. I think there is another one that's very popular in our community called YNAB, which stands for you need a budget, which there's a little bit of a learning curve with that software as well. And there's a few others that are out there that do something similar, but either way, the point is we need to be building the skill set of knowing what is coming in and what is going out. That's baseline. That's table stakes for moving towards everything else that we want to do. Where are we at right now? Yeah, I totally hear you, Jonathan. And and I don't want people to get bogged down in the methodology. I think action, like you said, is the key here. You might not have done this for your entire life, your entire adult life, but you've decided to make a choice and to move forward and to get out of debt. So you have to take action and you need to find a method that works for you. For me, it would just be a nice, simple Microsoft Excel sheet. And that would work for me. Somebody, pen and paper would work or up to these great and really pretty easy to use technological solutions. So whatever works for you, get it done. Clearly, you need to have this on paper. What money's coming in? What money is going out? And I think I would add to that and say, we need to figure out what are your debts? You might never have written them down. You just get the credit card bills, you pay the minimum payment, and that's it. But you really need to just get an understanding of what do I owe? and to whom, right? And what are the interest rates? So I would say, what are my total debts? What's the interest rate? What are the payment requirements? So you just need to have your financial picture in front of you, instead of it just being this nebulous thing or this really uncertain, scary thing, right? Like that can inspire so much fear when you don't have a handle on it. Just putting it on paper allows you to take ownership of this. So clearly this is the first step in my opinion. You know, I think part two is just acknowledging that you can't afford it. You know, so many of us say, well, I can afford the payments. The problem is when you can afford your minimum payment on something, you are paying interest rates upwards of 12%. In many cases, you're paying upwards of 25%, maybe even higher than that in the extreme case of like a payday loan. My friend, you simply can't afford it. Just the fact that you need payments to get from one paycheck to the next, it should be a guiding light that you cannot afford this. Nobody can afford this. You're either making interest or you're paying interest. And if you're paying interest, you have a snowball working against you. You have a ever increasing interest burden working against you, making it harder for you to ever get to the point where working is optional. And you know, I think an important part of this, Brad, is really just setting up some context. I mean, many people, honestly, they, they don't have a framework for determining whether or not it's a good interest rate, quote unquote, versus a bad interest rate. I know individuals that are paying upwards of 18% interest on their car payments, not realizing that the market right now is for someone that has good credit is probably closer to like 2%, 1%, something ridiculously low. This is financially devastating for you. It's wiping off not only this, you know, five years that you have payments, but it's setting you back for, for years and years of what it could be if you realize that th these interest rates really, really do matter. So 
you know, I, I, I guess let's just kind of set this up in my mind, reasonable interest rates are going to be, you know, especially on what you're paying out are going to be less than 6%. I know this sounds silly and that's a big margin between, you know, essentially 1% and 6%, but that's not hair is on fire right there. Interest rate levels. And it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, you know, car interest right now, typically the interest rates on cars are somewhere between one and 3% mortgages are somewhere between three and 5% credit cards are somewhere between 12 and 29%. Payday loans are upwards of 240 to 2000% per year. I mean, just you, you can keep going up the farther you get up the spectrum, but generally the more ludicrous the type of financing is, the, the higher the interest rate that goes along with that. And some of that is the lender thinking that this loan is potentially risky because there's nothing backing it up. But the reality is, you know, from, from our perspective as a consumer, as a conscious consumer, we don't want to be interacting with loans with interest rates that are above that 10% beyond threshold. There's virtually no reason in life to have an interest rate that high, especially if you live at least inside of the domestic United States. I mean, with the market competing the way it is right now, I just, Brad, can you imagine a scenario in which you're paying more than 10% interest on something? No, I mean, certainly I could not imagine that. And yeah, you use the phrase hair on fire, right? And anything over 10% in my estimation would be a hair is on fire type scenario. Unless this is some ultra niche real estate investment that's very purposeful, but clearly that is not what we're talking about here, right? We're yeah. talking about people who are in debt. Yes, definitely outside of the scope. There I'm sure that there's someone listening to say, "Well, in this particular situation I did do this and it was a hard money loan and it was for such and such." Not what we're talking about. We're talking about cleaning up consumer debt passive debt that you just didn't think about. You didn't have an anchor. You didn't have a frame and you just did it because that's what was offered. Like that anything over 10% for the purpose of this conversation, hair, hair is on fire. Not saying that we're crazy about interest below 10%, but you know, I think if you understand and you have context and a frame for where your interest rate ranks, it helps inform the decision and the strategies that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Brad, now that we've kind of talked about the types of debt just a little bit, right? I mean, we covered everything from uh, car payments to mortgages to payday loans, credit cards, you know, all this stuff. Let's bundle it all together. But what we tried to do with this is kind of separate it out and now focus on interest rates and look at the interest rates as being a portion of the guiding light. You know, the other half of this is how much money is tied up in this stuff. You know, with your mortgage, you're talking about potentially six figures. And with a car, maybe, you know, five figures of debt, et cetera, et cetera, with a credit card, hopefully not six figures of credit card debt, just depending on where you're at in this picture. So, but there's two different parameters that we're looking at. We're looking at the interest rate and we're looking at how much we owe. So someone has $30,000 of credit card debt and they've got a 24% interest rate on that. This is, this is rough. I mean, this is, this is dangerous. This is a hair on fire. This is a very unfortunate situation and we're going to have to be very intentional with this. Once we have a list of all of our debts in our financial picture, and then on top of that, we have a list of the types of debts we have, the amount that we owe, the interest rate, it can now inform part three of our strategy, our debt payoff strategy. And there's two, actually, we're going to mention three methods in here. The first we're going to mention is the debt snowball. The second is going to be the debt avalanche. And the third is kind of a hybrid of the two. And I think probably as we sift through how we work through these, it will make sense how we land on one. And I think it's important to say, Brad, that like we're not dogmatic about any of these approaches. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really important. We don't have a position here. I think that's what's crucial about any of these kind of debt payoff conversations. Jonathan, you and I have talked about paying off a mortgage. And this is kind of, let's say, contentious issue in the FI community where some people think you should pay it off. 
for psychological purposes. Other people say you shouldn't pay it off for mathematical purposes. I think that's very similar to what we're going to discuss here with the debt snowball versus the avalanche. So I think it's very, very important from the outset to say, you have to figure out what works for your life. We are not going to prescribe a method that is choose if I approved. We think whatever is going to make you take action, the best is what works for you. And we're very, very happy with that. And so for the purposes of this conversation, we are not going to deal with paying off the mortgage. In fact, as we go through and list our debts, we're going to take that mortgage and we're going to set that aside for right now, for the purposes of this conversation with regards to paying off debt, we're going to have a, a good debt, bad debt calm. And regardless of whether or not your particular home was a good investment or not, which is its own contentious conversation, we're going to just, for the sake of focusing on this, this payoff strategy, we're going to focus on our other consumer debt, which could be our student loans, could be our car payment, could be our credit card debt, could be our payday loans. And we're kind of come up with a way to organize those and pay them off. And we're going to give you a, the tools, the way we would think through it personally on how to do that. So we need to define some terms. The first one was the debt snowball with the debt snowball. Basically what you do is you take all your debts and you organize them from the smallest balance. So maybe you have a couple credit cards with three or $400, maybe $800 on this particular credit card. And then you also have a car payment and you also have some larger student loan payment as well. With the debt snowball, what you do is you basically disregard the interest rate, which it, from for an accountant like Brad, this really hurts to hear this, but you disregard the interest rate and you just focus on paying the absolute most that you can pay towards the smallest debt. If it's that $300 credit card balance, you pay that off first, you make minimum payments on everything else. And then after you pay off that balance, then you roll everything you were paying to that smallest balance onto the next smallest amount. And you continue making the minimum payments on everything else. And so you essentially create a snowball for yourself. The upside of this is that you're getting a psychological win. The downside of this is that it ignores the very real math of interest rates. And so if one of your larger loans has a ridiculous interest rate, this could cost you a fair amount of money. Now, the, the, the other side of that would be if you can compress all of this into a short enough time window, then maybe you could make the case that the psychology matters more and it's just getting it done. This is for a short period of time, but you're going to have to think through that. It's very hard to think through it if you don't actually have it on paper. Option two, the debt avalanche. This is for the math nerds. This says it doesn't really matter what your balance is. The interest rate is the most important thing. And as long as you can stay focused, as long as you don't need those psychological wins, even if you have a much larger balance, you always pay the most you can pay towards the balance that has the highest interest rate. And when that's paid off, then you will do the next highest. interest. It's basically kind of working in reverse, using the interest rate as your guiding light. There's a small problem with this in that because it's so... It so ignores the psychological component of paying off debt. And we know, as we talk about, that mindset is a big piece of this. Just like with weight loss, if, if you have to wait for a very long time before you ever see the scale move, how many people stop making the choices and the activities that really are moving the needle because they don't see the results quick enough? That, that's kind of like, that is the yin and yang of these two alternatives. And, um, you know, I'm sure someone like Brad, you know, Brad, you could probably just be all in on just, Hey, it's the interest rate, interest rate rules. I'm just going to make those payments. You know, maybe someone that's a little bit more emotionally tied to these decisions and it's a little bit harder needs those psychological wins. And it's so nice to be able to cross that red X through that $300 credit card bill that you had, just move on to the next one. Right. I mean, this is kind of the balance that we're sifting through and why it's so hard to give one absolute answer to all people. 
Yeah, this is really hard, Jonathan. I know this is kind of a caricature, right, of of me being an accountant, but I would consider the debt snowball as well. Like I, I see the point of that. I really do. And and obviously the hardcore optimizers in the FI community are gonna say, wow, how could you do anything other than pay off the highest interest rate, the the debt avalanche? To the math people out there, this is such an obvious choice that they couldn't even comprehend another choice. But for me, I see the value of the psychological wins. And therefore, the debt snowball really is attractive, especially, Jonathan, like if you can pay off a bunch of these tiny little ones that you're sending these minimum payments to, because then you're you're not only taking the additional principal that you're paying, but all these minimum payments that you're just sending out in little snippets. And then you can put them all to the next biggest balance. And then like I see how there is that snowball. But again, that almost certainly is going to cost you more interest expense in the long run. It's hard to know because we're just hypothetically talking about just some debt. It's hard to know how much that would amount to for each person. But that psychological win of just paying these things off and just keep on rolling. Hey, I had five debts. Now I have four, three, two. And then you just keep putting everything behind it. Again, there is great power in that. So I see the allure of the snowball for sure. The nice thing is that if you have all of this data in front of you, because you have started with step one, which is just organize your financial picture and you've created this worksheet for yourself, you have this information and you can start looking to see if there's a hybrid. I know personally, you don't necessarily just have to do one of these and then, and then pick Brad, you made this great point. What if I could get the hit, that sense of success from those small wins And then when it moves over to something that's going to take me longer to pay off, then I follow the very real math of the avalanche. And this is what I would call the hybrid method. And this is what allows me to get those psychological wins and at the same time, follow the compelling math of the debt avalanche. And so in this scenario, what if we took all of our loans that we could pick an arbitrary dollar amount, like are under a thousand dollars, or we could take something like loans that would take me less than a month or two to pay off, you know, some way of categorizing these smaller loans and say for this, For this period of time, if it's going to take me less than two months to pay off or less than a month to pay off, let me just go ahead and work on my debt snowball. Get as many, every paycheck, just get as many of these crossed off as possible. And then from there, once I'm looking at loans that are going to take me six months to two years to pay off, you know, I'm outside of this window. Let me then follow the compelling math of the avalanche and send as much as I can to the debts that have the highest interest rate and minimum payments to everything else and get that win from the interest rate arbitrage. Uh, and then the only kind of counterpoint here, and it's just kind of a slight addendum, and it's just, it's hopefully it affects as few people as possible in this community, but I'm sure it affects somebody listening to this. If you have a payday loan that has a 240% interest rate, that has a 2,400% interest rate a year, these are, these are not like made up numbers. This is what payday loans, this is what they, this is what they are. If that is anywhere in this situation, just forget all the strategies that I just mentioned and get that thing taken care of. Like whatever it takes, borrow money from a friend and promise to never do it again. Come up with another strategy. Get that loan out of your life. That's beyond hairs on fire. That's nuclear Armageddon to your finances. (laughs) Once you get rid of that, come back and let's apply the snowball, the avalanche or the hybrid, which personally I'm a big fan of. But the, the most important thing about the plan is you need to pick a plan that works for you. It doesn't matter how good it is on an Excel sheet. doesn't matter what projected savings. If it doesn't work for you and you don't do it, it, it doesn't work. And, and so that is like, that's the nuance to this game. But here is your options. It's going to be one of these three. Take the math, 
look at your financial picture and apply one of these strategies and let's spend, you know, the next couple of months, maybe the next six months, next year, cleaning up potentially 20 or 30 years of financial drift. Yeah. And I think to your point, we look at credit cards, you and I, as, as the worst case scenario, but clearly there are debts like these payday loans that are higher than 30%. In our mind's eye, 30% is astronomical and we couldn't imagine anything worse than that. But clearly there, there are things worse. So you have to get that out of the way, unquestionably. But then for the purpose of our discussion here, we're really thinking about credit cards as the worst case scenario, right? In terms of interest rates, those are usually in the 20%, you know, thereabouts up to 30 or so. Let's talk about that, Jonathan. I think just as as the final little piece of this is the different types of debt and how you should be thinking about this. I like your thought about the hybrid method. I think that's really interesting to me. So you're getting the psychological wins of those tiny little debt payoffs. But then once you get beyond that, all right, then you have to start looking at interest rates, right? Because let's say, for instance, you have a car loan that has a $10,000 balance and it's a, I don't know, four or 5% interest rate. Then you have a credit card of 15 or $20,000 owed at 30%. The debt snowball method would say, start with your lowest balance owed. So in that case, you would actually be paying on the car loan. And if you owe a decent amount on that, if you owe 10,000 bucks, that's going to take you a while to pay off. And all the while in the background, the interest on that credit card keeps on rocking and rolling at 20 plus percent. That to me is crazy. Like you, you simply cannot do that. And that's why I like that hybrid method, because at that point you would say, all right, this car loan at 4%, that's not hair on fire scenario, but the credit card at 24% that is. Yeah. And so, in, fact, in your initial example, you used a 30%, which honestly, that's not a crazy. I have seen credit cards with 29% interest rates and beyond. And in people that have, you know, credit that is lower on the scale can even go up farther. So just to put this in perspective on that credit card that you're ignoring, you're just making the minimum 25, $50, $100 payment or whatever that is, that $15,000 balance at a 30% APR that's costing you $4,500 a year. Your life is $4,500 a year more expensive because you're doing the debt snowball. This Brad, this is a brilliant example of why you have to understand what these numbers, what these fees, these interest rates, what they actually mean for your financial picture. Yeah. To me, this third method, this hybrid method certainly appeals to me both intellectually and psychologically. Of course, Jonathan, we're not saying this is our method. If I were picking, that probably would be the method that I'd pick. But I suspect people out there are going to be all across the spectrum and those three different options of what works for them. I'm, I'm, I'm hiding dogma behind the veil of no dogma. <laughs> it's a hybrid method. <laughs> not that I'm telling you what to do. Um, <laughs> right. No, but this is great. So we've covered, you know, what we've covered so far in part one is building your financial picture. Part two, you can't afford it. Kind of working through what these interest rates actually mean, how to categorize it. And part three, the strategies, debt snowball versus debt avalanche versus the hybrid. And now in part four, I think we need to go a little bit more advanced. We need to talk about margin, creating the space to be able to do this because there are some tactics that are both apparent and obvious as soon as you start considering it, but there are also opportunities and options available out there for individuals to simplify this picture and make the target easier to hit. So I thought we could take a few minutes and talk about building some margin in making this process a little bit simpler. Yeah. So Jonathan, that's the perfect setup for the FI community just generally. 
These are all the strategies we've talked about for years now, which can include certainly cutting expenses, earning more, finding different ways to lower your interest rates or consolidate your balances. There are just so many options here. So we need to help kind of sift through those and figure it out for different individuals in different places, you know, what they can do. And certainly on the earn more, you could just work more, right? You could bring in a little bit of extra income. You could pursue a side hustle. I mean, there's certainly options that we have talked about in that regards on the spend less. Wouldn't it be a great challenge if you're really trying to tackle this just to try to do a no spend month? Because it does multiple things. When you're trying to create your financial picture, if you haven't been applying any sort of intentionality, who knows what the heck is going on with your financial picture? How many different subscriptions you could have hanging out? How many different auto payments that you have going on? Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of all the extra stuff so you could just focus on what's happening without your knowledge? It just simplifies all of your goals and allows you to get a very accurate look of your current baseline. Once you know how much your life actually costs, it makes it easier to cut out trial subscriptions that you didn't know had converted PayPal auto payments that are still going on in the background. And I'm, you know, this may not be life-changing amounts of money, but the financial piece that comes with knowing what your picture actually looks like and cutting out all the extra cannot be overstated. And you might along the way, find out things that you're spending money on that you just don't really value. Like for instance, how much are you spending on your cable package? Do you really need 200 channels that all have nothing on simultaneously to watch? Do you really need to be spending $300 a month between your cable and your cell phone package? Is there a way that you can just optimize that? And we certainly talk about optimizing your monthly expenses in our Pillars of Fi episode, episode 100, and honestly, all throughout the show. But these are just kind of things that come along with streamlining your finances. But then when you talk about the actual process of building margin, the earn more, the spend less, the optimization is really where the, the FI community thrives and highlights some, some strategies that I don't really see talked about on a regular basis in other places. And so there's two things that come to mind. One is for the individual that has a decent to maybe good, really, really good credit. And, you know, sometimes even if you have a lot of uh, outstanding debt because you've been making your payments, your credit can be really, really good. And this could potentially afford you some opportunities. So Bonnie, in her case, was mentioning how she was able to get some 0% balance transfer. So Brad mentioned the example of this credit card balance, $15,000, 24 to 30% APR. We just you know, basically showed how that is around close to $4,500 a year in interest. So we know that's real money. That's not theoretical money. This this balance that you owe on this card is costing you, it's costing you $4,500 a year. I mean, that is a really, really high percentage of your discretionary income, right? Because now it's just currently going to paying this credit card bill. What if you could roll that balance onto a card that was able to give you 0% interest? And Brad, maybe you can weigh in with this with some of the current cards are offering. What? How long of a duration are you seeing these days for some of these uh, 0% balance transfers? Jonathan, uh, an example is the Amex Everyday credit card. And I guess we're recording this on February 19th. So this is accurate as of today, but they're offering 0% intro APR on purchases and balance transfers for 15 months. So, I mean, that's over an entire year of free balance transfers. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. That's just one of many examples, but that's the one that jumps out to me certainly as the best option right now. Cool. And I don't want to think about this as a patch. Like this isn't just to maintain your current lifestyle, but if you're implementing this sort of process as a way to reclaim your financial game, you're building this into your action plan. A decision like that could save you thousands of dollars of real money, accelerating your path to getting your financial freedom clock started. Another one, just to simplify your process is debt consolidation. There are many services out there and ones that we'll highlight in the future that will allow you to take many of these debts 
and allow you to bundle them together and get one rate going forward. This is another very, very appealing service just for the simplicity that it offers. Now, I will always want you to weigh this with the math and you wouldn't want to do this in a vacuum. You want to be aware of your actual interest rates now. And you never want to do this to just stop the bleeding per se. You never want to do this just so you can maintain your current spending habits. But if you're doing this as a way to completely accelerate your debt payoff, man, this this can be really powerful. And it gives you a simpler target to focus on. Instead of having to worry about debt snowball or debt avalanche, you're getting one fixed rate and you're just hitting that bullseye, that target for hopefully a relatively short period of time. If you can be very, very intense for two months, six months, a year, you know, if you can focus all your efforts into getting out of debt over this, this short window of time, that intensity pays dividends for you for decades to come and allows you to achieve these types of financial results down the road. But we have to clean up the baggage first. And that's why we're talking about a few of these strategies. We'll continue to uh, highlight and bring on more resources as they become available to us. But it's, it's become apparent, especially as you guys have emailed us and let us know where you're at on your financial journey, that while it's great to talk about Roth conversion ladders, while it's great to talk about capital gains harvesting and all these advanced tactics, before we can start funding our VTSAX accounts, we got to clean up the debt baggage. And I hope that this episode highlighted kind of our mental thought process, what we would do if we were dealing with cleaning up potentially years of financial drift. Yeah. And Jonathan, this is such a crucially important subject. And I'm glad we got the opportunity through this episode with Bonnie. And it was really amazing to see what she went through with paying off this debt with her first husband. And she said, he grew up in debt and not paying bills. And he thought that was normal. She said, I had no idea people lived like that, but they do. Even for people like that who grew up, right? Like I have no idea that people paid their bills. Well, now you do. And I think it's just getting a hold of your financial situation and saying, I can be better tomorrow and every tomorrow thereafter. That is just such an empowering way to look at life, but you have to take action and you have to look at this as like a fun, a fun game almost. And, and I think that's an interesting kind of pivot on this is not deprivation. We're not telling you to cut all your expenses and take all the fun out of your life. No, I look at it as, well, you mean I can just optimize a little bit and then I can pay off this debt in X number of months, you know, and that's going to depend on the particular person. And then from there, I can start saving real money and get further and further along this path to five. That is just a great, great way to approach life. You know, in this community, many of us have been doing this for a while and there is that sense of, sense of accomplishment. There's that sense of power that's coming to your side of the equation, but there's many, many people that still feel like they're, they're in, they're in a perpetual state of financial crisis. And Bonnie had this quote, Brad, she said, trouble doesn't have to be a disaster. And for me, her episode, this episode, this past week on Monday, episode 115, is a story of hope of someone that at the age of 30 basically was starting from scratch after clawing their way out of a financial crisis. And within a period of about 13 years, that's an incredibly compressed timeline without even really knowing it reached financial independence. This is doable. And if you can have fun with this, if you can normalize the conversation, if you can find community of people that are targeting these same goals, it's imminent, imminently replicable. And, and it's exciting to see people realize that and the changes that are made in a relatively short period of time, two months, six months, one year, like my net worth has been tripled for the first time in my life. I had months between myself and the financial cliff. 
This is doable and it's just a part of this process. And so, yeah, take these ideas and take action on them. If you know somebody that's struggling with that, share this episode with a friend. If you yourself are looking to get started and take action yourself and you want to find out more about what we're doing here at Chooseify, just go to chooseify.com slash start. We have a welcome video, tell you a little bit about us and what we're doing and help you implement your own action plan into your life. I think it's going to be an incredibly valuable use of your time. And we're excited that you're listening and you're taking action on these concepts and joining this community. Yeah. And Jonathan, speaking of community, we like to highlight what's going on in the Choose If I community all across the world. And I think the first thing I want to talk about here is you and I are actually going to join our DC local group. We're going to also partner with Junior Achievement and they have a finance park there. We're going to actually mentor middle schoolers on financial literacy and financial independence. So I think we've decided that April 8th is the day that we're going to do that. So yeah, anybody in the DC metro area that wants to come join us, we will have information on the Chooseify DC local group, but yeah, it's April 8th. And I think really what we're, because junior achievements actually has parks all over the country. We're kind of doing this as a proof of concept essentially to see, you know, is this a fun community event that we can do together and give back to our local communities, give back and kind of as a way of advocating for financial independence principles with kids all across the country. And at this particular park, I think we can have up to 30 people with us. So if you're interested, just join the DC local group and you can find that at chooseify.com slash local. But there are meetups all across the country this week. And it's really cool, Brad, as we continue to kind of highlight what's going on in the local groups, I've definitely seen the activity just ramp up in general, which is just wonderful to see. I know a lot of people wonder, you know, in our community, we're, we're still working on doing our first meetup. And what would a good activity be? And I think, I think the consensus is for your first meetup in your local group, just meet for coffee. Don't overthink this. Just do a meet and greet introductions, kind of get to know each other's stories, people on this path. I mean, a lot of the people that we've interviewed on this show over the past year were people that we met at either local meetups or across the country at different conferences that aren't bloggers per se, but they just have fascinating lives because they've been absorbing and implementing these ideas, taking action on these ideas. And it's just sent them in a remarkable place. And I tell you, it's one of the most addictive conversations to be a part of just to hear how these ideas transform lives. And to hear someone's personal story is very, very rewarding. Uh, Choose of I Delaware is ramping up. Justin is preparing for their first meetup date. Locations are being announced this week. DC, Fresno, and Sacramento all have meetings on February 23rd. Bay Area and Riverside Inland Empire have meetings in March. Colorado Springs, one of the members is actually hosting a regular Saturday dinner and a board game night. Seriously, Brad, board game nights are one of my big goals to see this happen. And, uh, <laughs> and it's really cool because we've actually had some people in our community group here in Richmond mention it. And uh, if you want me to bring Splendor and just kick your tail again, I'd be happy to, <laughs> to coach you through the process. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know what? That's actually really cool. And I want to slow down on Colorado Springs. One of the members, this is not the admin, right? Like this is not a top-down thing in these local groups. This is about community. One of these members just decided, hey, I'm going to host a regular Saturday dinner and a board game night for the Choose If I community. That to me is amazing. Jonathan, that is the kind of thing that I would love to see spread all across the world because that's when this becomes part of the fabric of life, right? It's not just, oh, we're going to meet up at a brewery and do a little meet and greet for an hour. That's great, like you said, for the first or second meeting. But man, when this becomes part of the fabric of their lives, then we've got a true community here. Yeah, and not a small community either. I mean, Chooseify in Detroit, they just hit 250 members. There's several of the groups in Texas and California 
that are now have upwards of 700 members in the group. I mean, imagine when you're talking about communities where people have this common goal of a thousand, 2000 people, what, what does that mean for the fabric of the community? How empowering is that? Because you know how transformative this is in an individual's life. What does it look like as a collective? That is just unbelievably rewarding to see that really come together. Well, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. And there's three books that we offer. The first is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book from Vincent Puglisi, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there and leave us a short written review, and then send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce a winner on the Friday roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, today we actually have four winners. So we've had a a big backlog because we've had a bunch of book giveaways from some of our guests. I'm going to read off two of the names and then I'm going to read two of the actual reviews. The first two winners are Sam H and Alina L. And then we've got Joshua. And Joshua said, my wife and I already lived relatively frugally before being introduced to fire, but I've known for some time that we needed to give more thoughtful consideration to our money habits and lifestyle in order to be more diligent and efficient in our pursuit of financial independence. This podcast has truly been an incredible resource that is helping us on this journey. I've been telling my family, close friends, and even a couple trusted coworkers about the amazing work that you, Brad and Jonathan, are doing. And I'm consistently challenged and inspired by you both to improve and enhance our lives. Joshua, thank you so much for the feedback. We put a lot of time into this show and it's truly something that is probably our favorite thing in the world to do, but feedback like yours is just so incredibly rewarding and we're grateful for you for taking the time to to commit that to paper. And Jonathan, the last winner is Amr and they said, it's tough to put into words just how incredible this podcast is. I found ChooseFI in October, 2018 and in five short months have listened to all 214 episodes and some more than once. Jonathan and Brad's personalities are so different, but complement to each other really well, which makes the podcast equally entertaining, informative, and above all, actionable. My wife and I have been able to implement more than three dozen different actionable tips, hacks, and nuggets of wisdom that we've picked up from this podcast that will ultimately allow us to reach financial independence and design our life in under five years. I'm wrapping up an MBA program at a top 20 school, but the financial insights and knowledge that I've picked up from ChooseFI puts the MBA to shame. Choose FI and Papa Business School Unite, he says. Oh. <laughs> it's like he's reading my mind now and <laughs> <on> again. <laughs> <laughs> Please do your future self and loved ones a favor and make listening to Choose FI a part of your daily routine. You will not regret it. The fire is spreading. The fire is spreading, my friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.